if we don't figure out how to be in relationship with each other and the planet in a different way, we might calmly <laughs> go to our doom. So how to be in relationship with our planet in such a way that we're in deep reverence for it. Hi everyone, welcome to the Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast. I'm David Trelevin, author of the book Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness, and this is a podcast designed to explore the relationship between mindfulness, meditation, and traumatic stress. In this episode, I interviewed Daniel Rekshoffen. Daniel has been a leader in the field of mindful education for a number of years, organizing conferences and writing a best-selling book called The Way of Mindful Education. He also recently co-founded Transformative Educational Leadership, which is a community of educational leaders which are doing some fantastic work around equity, social-emotional learning, and mindfulness. I just thought Daniel would be a great person to have on the podcast and get to ask him about his reflections on mindful education, where that intersects with trauma, and what he's seeing in the field more generally. So without further ado, I bring you Daniel Rekshoffen. Daniel, thanks for being here. So happy to be here. Yeah, really glad to been wanting to have this conversation with you for a while and and um we have this conversation all the time but <laughs> no, it's, we good, we, it's good to record it we thought we'd actually put it down uh you know you've been um you've been in this field for such a long time and that's partly why i wanted to talk to you and you've been you know in particular you've been around mindful education and and uh, one reason i wanted to have this talk with you right now is it's just this particular moment of you being on a little bit of a break stepping back for a moment and saying, okay, like, let me, where am I at? Where's the field at? And I thought it could just be a cool time to, um, have a conversation with you about mindfulness and trauma and where you're at. And I'm wondering for people that don't, uh, know much about you, I mean, you feel like you have a really fascinating life, but how you come to this work, um, would you be open to just telling a little bit about your story and how you, how you came to be where you are? I would be happy to, um, and honored to 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 be on this and to be working in the in the field of mindfulness and trauma and helping the work that you're doing to to um, to fill it out in the different arenas. Um, yeah, I come to this work kind of born into this work. Uh, I was born or raised at the Omega Institute, which is a holistic learning center in New York, Rhinebeck, New York. Um, that my parents uh, founded together. And um, so I was really raised in an atmosphere where a lot of mindfulness was being taught, a lot of yoga and um, a lot of different gurus and spiritual teachers from around the world. Um, so I, I, as a kid, I just kind of like assumed everybody's uncles and aunts were like shamans and, and gurus. Um, I went to public school, so I quickly learned that was not the case, and most people, kids, did not want to talk about uh, the type of things that I was interested in as a kid. Um, so I was really raised in that atmosphere, and I think I was I was particularly interested in it for whatever reason as a kid. Not all of my siblings went the same direction as me, but from early on, I always was you know interested in the big questions of existence and I had a lot of teachers around um, folks like John Kabat-Zinn and um, 
that have become colleagues now as I've gotten um, older, um, who I, even as a young person, was able to talk to and and um, be raised in that atmosphere. And um, I became studied as a as a therapist, as a marriage and family therapist, and um, started working as a school therapist. And I think that my upbringing, being able to be raised in an in kind of two worlds, one world where I was able to ask the big questions of life and really ask, you know, uh, learn to meditate when I was young and learned how to be really in an inquiry about my own inner emotional life and um, uh, social world. And so I was really raised on one level with, with, uh, with a deep atmosphere around me that was supporting me and then I was also simultaneously going to a public school where that was not the case and I felt like I was a a number a cog in the wheel and did not feel supported or seen in many ways Um, and so when I became a school therapist I started I think I really just seeing how so many people go through school without um, without much emotional support without really being seen without having much kind of heart-centered education Um, and so I started utilizing a lot of mindfulness and a lot of things I was raised with Um, and this was almost 15 years ago so the kind of mindfulness and yoga in schools thing didn't really exist yet so I was kind of doing it in my own little silo Um, but at that time a lot of folks Susan Kaiser Greenland, Linda Lentieri, a lot of colleagues of mine started doing a lot of this work and I kind of jumped on the bandwagon early to be able to help this movement, which is now all over the place, of really bringing more, um, you know, conscious, heart-centered uh, education, uh, you know, mindfulness tools into education. So I've really been on that on that ride for the last 10, 15 years, working with lots of school systems really around the world, trying to create more um, conscious learning environments. When I think about mindfulness and trauma, we talk a lot about really systems change and the possibility of systems change, whether that's help supporting someone in their nervous system to be more regulated, to be um, uh, working towards supporting trauma recovery, but really like fundamentally resourcing their nervous systems. But then also, you know, I know a lot of people in the community are interested in systems change and what do we need to support, you know, massive change around an institution in schools, something you've been working in. But also, I know you think a lot about climate and climate change. And, you know, I just we, we had the climate um, march happening, I think, like two weeks ago. If you, could you talk a little bit about where you see the what's the relationship between mindfulness and, say, climate change? Because I know sometimes I'll think about I'll think about mindfulness and climate change and think, I don't know where these practices are actually going to support the massive change that would need to happen for there to be any substantial response to climate change. And yet I know, I know this is something that you think about and, but where can it help? Where would it be useful? Um, I mean, again, I'll go to the, you know, there's the bumper sticker of, of think global act local. And that, I mean, I think there's many ways to to kind of go into this the the question, but one of them that I would say is, um, I have been really exploring the last you know couple months, particularly um, 
really working with nature in such a way um, you could you know permaculture and other types of um, earth-based uh, practices uh, are amazing for me to look at in the sense of um, where you you know biomimicry these other things where you actually look at the way that nature uh, the wisdom of nature and for me there's a real clear sense that uh, the the answers to ecological crises aren't going to be aren't if we, if we're just trying to figure our way out of it through our through our brains through like more inventions and more technology that's that's not the way that i i imagine is going to be the most helpful what what i experience is that nature knows how to heal itself and it's similar when we go to trauma that our bodies actually know how to heal themselves so if you're if our bodies are put into a natural system so if if we're really stressed out we're tightening we're in a very like um our bodies forget how to be able to relax and open and when we're in a more uh, relaxed natural state our bodies I, my experience is that can they can heal themselves and um, natural systems know how to heal themselves so if you put a big a huge dam in a river and there's a lot of different ways that we're blocking systems and every time you block natural flow and natural systems it creates more blocks the salmon then don't come up the salmon don't come up then it, these type of animals don't have a food source those animal you know you kind of start breaking systems and the systems break down more and more when you open systems you open the, the streams up and you open these things there's actually a very diverse flow and so for me my experience with mindfulness is about slowing down and listening and honoring and revering nature and all of its systems and trying to understand for myself how to be able so i live in in san geronimo valley in california where a lot of what i've been doing over the last few months is being in nature and really trying to understand the natural systems here for me that's a profound um, mindfulness practice because i'm really attuning to the core the, you know the 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 course of the sun and the moon and the when to when to plant and different animals that migrate through and for me that's like the most epic mindfulness practice of all and that when i'm connected to the ways of of nature and the cosmos um, then my body feels way more grounded more present i feel more healthy and then i also am more understanding of how to be able to help nature support nature to be able to keep moving through its cycles in a healthy way without blocking them um, so so that like for me it's like a very direct like I can I can see on my own land how listening to where the stream moves and I can help create like this little frog pond where more ecosystems are building and then my body is responding to it it's a very direct right here um, I imagine if we were all doing that on the planet, building our reverence for nature right here, rather than doing this thing that I've been on, which is like fly to Germany, fly to Thailand, go over here, try to help these people, try to help those people, and not having any time to be on my own land and in my own community, really resourcing myself and my place. It What you're naming feels like 
a really big and fundamental shift um, around how to orient to mindfulness. And it makes me, I I realized when you were talking, I'm like, oh, I, I so often think about mindfulness practices as what can someone get out of them? What almost, I wouldn't say it's extractive, but I think it's flavored by that extraction of what, what's in it for them. And, you know, when I look at, I decided to subscribe to a couple of mindfulness magazines this year, just, I hadn't just hadn't been really in Mm -hmm. reading. I was like, wow, the, the, the economy that has been built around mindfulness. And I'm not, I'm not, I have a critique, but I'm not trying to throw it under the bus about, of course, we're trying to, um, people are trying to have livelihoods and do well by mindfulness. But what you just named to me seems like a, a total 180 about what's in it for me around mindfulness and actually what's happening in a larger system around me. How can I, tell me if I have this right. It's like, how can I actually serve the larger systems happening around me as opposed to what can I get from this practice or what do I need? Does I have that right? Exactly. That's, thank you for that. That, uh, yeah, exactly. And I, and that extractive phenomenon is i think the nail on the head for me of like art we live in a culture of ex, of extraction of like what can i get for me and so there's a piece that i think that like the the narcissistic aspect of particularly america and um is is one level of it and then if you go even deeper it's it, there's like you know there's the like egocentric but then there's also the human centric consciousness where we are you know what can i get for me and what can we get for humans so you see you see like in the mindfulness piece i think as you're pointing out most articles are like be less stressed be less you know feel more feel more vibrant in your body feel more you know it's very much selling how can you feel better right that and of course we want to feel better there's nothing wrong with that but then you can go to the same even with climate change kind of stuff of like it's all about like you know um f- all for humans right how can how can humans um you know get more f- like get more from your environment without hurting it or how can we um it's there there isn't this larger reflection of in we're, what we're looking for is actually the entire system to flourish this profound earth to be able to keep springing up in the spring and falling back in, in the fall and like how do the how do we support this amazing system that we are part of um or how do we utilize mindfulness as a way to be able to be more deeply reverent and connected as as you said perfectly i mean i feel like that's what i'm continually reflecting on is just that that kind of mantra of how can we be of service to the larger whole and not just the larger whole as human beings but the larger whole of of the earth and um and and it's true that the the aspect which i think is you know we've we've talked about a bunch in in terms of the economy of mindfulness which is part of the economy of of you know our larger american and global economy which is that in order to survive we need to you and i both need to teach classes which is not you know that's just how it works but then i you know when i was putting out my online course there was a whole piece for me around like i had to do the email marketing campaign and like it felt like very 
cheesy or like selly for me when I'm really like, you know, deep down being like, I, I just want kids and schools to be healthy and happy and to, for our world to be better. But there's this kind of like, buy now, sell, you know, and so there's a, an interesting piece where I'm like, well, if I want to get it out there, I have to put it out there in the system that's there, which is a very like, you know, sell, sell, sell world. And, and, um, and it, it feel it feels very strange to try to be able to push out when really I'm wanting to be more in a, in a mindfulness way of, of, of kind of welcoming everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it goes to that thing of like, we're in a system and how, when you're in that system, do you try to work outside of that system while still supporting the system? Right. What do you think should be the goal of practice? <laughs> and I asked that, I'm thinking of the number of people who would be in the community who could be in any, any environment, could be a teacher in school, could be someone in a, a, a hospital or mental health setting or who's offering practices and doing so with a lot of integrity, doing the best they can, often in a secular context. I'm curious from your vantage point, what, what do you think would be a real, is in this moment, Mm -hmm. And what's needed? What's what's a realistic goal that people could be setting? Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question because I feel like, um, you know, there's diff. I think on some level there's different levels of practice or there's different levels of goals, right? And on the first, on the first level, mindfulness-based stress reduction, beginning level practice where, oftentimes mindfulness is just a way to be able to be resourced enough to be with what's happening, right? To be like, okay, how can I have some self-compassion for the trauma I was raised in? How can I have some groundedness and, and chill in the midst, midst of my crazy job, right? right? So I think a lot of people, it's common to look at how like most people get into mindfulness or yoga or different practices when they have type of illness or break up or some breakdown right so you it's it our it's our struggle it's our suffering that often brings us to these types of practices because they do have a kind of soothing effect and a grounding and a centering way so i i don't want to belittle that at all that's like necessary for all of us to have toolboxes and that's a lot of what i do in schools is like schools are stressful you know we, it's, it's inherently stressful to have to like take all these tests and be in the room with all these like so just ah let's let's go back let's slow down let's um so on some level that's that's a great goal but then the deeper goal that i feel like i'm because i i literally feel like our planet when you look at the ecological crisis we're facing if we just keep being like, oh, let's just, let's just keep calm. Um, there's something of the like moving the deck chairs on the Titanic thing of like, we are heading off a cliff. And, and if we don't figure out how to be in relationship with each other and the planet in a different way, you know, we might calmly <laughs> go to our doom. Um, so I'm really interested in this other exploration which is how to be in relationship 
with our planet in such a way that we're in deep reverence for it. Um, and so for me, that's like when you take mindfulness to its end, like you begin with compassion practice, compassion for ourselves, really helpful. We all have our wounds, really good to be like, oh, I'm going to let myself off the hook. Mm. We begin our focus practice. So we're like, okay, I'm going to focus and see um, my breath, which is, has a calming aspect on me. Great. But if I keep using that seeing all the way, then it like, I open this view of like, wow, what's going, what, is, what is existence? What are these natural systems that I'm part of? What is our culture doing to itself? What, it, what are we human beings, which are nature doing to nature in this disconnected, uh, harmful way, opening my heart all the way up to realizing like, what are we doing to all the other animals and species and ecological systems and like letting our heart shatter by what's happening to our planet and that goes like all the way to like i need to completely transform my life um which i feel like i'm in the midst of i'm in this call with you like I'm, i haven't been doing any interviews or teaching because i'm like i'm like how do so i'm in the question with you of like how does one live and make it make money to to support oneself um and and to to go all the way with mindfulness which is beyond just the band-aid of it and into a like wow we need to we need to wake up in a big way if we want to be able to um to heal ourselves and our planet so if i hear you right you're it's both dignifying the quote-unquote stress reduction aspect of mindfulness practice while at the same time i hear you saying this can go as big as this can go huge yeah um because the, the, like it widens the circles of concern totally, for people exactly. in a big way. Would you say that widening those circles is a natural part of practice? Do you think that's where it automatically goes is towards those widened circles? I think, I think, I think yes, but I think it's to each individual. And like, I feel like as a, we're both, we both have worked as therapists and, you know, I feel like there's often this curve or, or whatever that happens with clients where like if a client comes in like and they're having panic attacks or they're having something kind of acute um very often over the course of a couple of months there's like a really powerful shift where they're like oh wow i'm orienting towards my emotions in a different way i'm able to like feel my anxiety rather than trying to run away from it or i'm able to be with so there's this initial beauty of mindfulness which is like the stress reduction and is the self-compassion and um and it's powerful um it's a powerful antidote to the way that usually we orient away from our experience and you learn to orient in to befriend your own inner world um but then you often what happens i see with clients is like there's like this initial like inspiration like wow i'm changing i'm transforming but then if they keep going with it it gets to that next level of which is like oh wow now that i'm more balanced and i'm more present there's this whole other thing to do which is like what how do i find meaning on in this world now that i'm more sensitive i feel the pain of others i feel the pain of our planet and i'm now what do i do and that one's like that's like you know the first few months are like really transformative and then then the next step is like the rest of your life working deeply at understanding how to be of service to the greater wider world and i think that 
um, some people that is the natural arc if you allow yourself to take the ride and I think some people are willing and some people are not to actually some people hit that and they're like whoa I didn't I'm not signing up for being for being on that hmm. Hmm. I want to pivot to a, a, a project that I think you were a part of that I often I've referenced in my work which is and tell me if I have this right I think a number of you uh, meaning a number of mindfulness teachers and practitioners and researchers got together at Omega Institute a number of years ago to have a conversation about um, what are the best practices inside of mindful education. And when I read it, uh, I think Leslie Booker, Susan Kaiser Greenland, a number of teachers were there to really have this conversation about in this contemporary moment, if we if, if mindfulness is being offered in, for example, a school or institution, what would be best practices? And if I remember right, there was some things on there. Well, one, why it interested me in particular was around trauma, is that it seemed like there was a consensus that it would need, practices would need to be trauma-informed, which kind of lit me up because that's been my, my fight. And then also things like consulting with families, uh, have it be based in social-emotional learning and research. And I thought that document was really strong, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, do I have that right, about that experience, and just what was it like? Yeah. Um, so what did you come to? Yeah, so it was, um, there's an organization in um, Cape Cod called Calmer Choice, um, which was which is run by a woman named Fiona Jensen, and they uh, work in a lot of the schools in that area bringing mindfulness practices. And this was whatever, maybe four years ago now or more. Um, and there was a lawsuit aimed at them uh, around mindf- around bringing mindfulness into schools, as uh, you know, accusing them of bringing religion into schools. Uh, which this has happened in several. This has happened with a whole yoga course in LA many years back. That there was actually a whole lawsuit, which the yoga um, uh, yoga in schools organization won the lawsuit that that it was not and so we i could go into a whole thing around like what's called the lemon test which is the classic thing of like are you is a school teaching uh religion which basically the lemon test is if it enforces kids to to learn a specific dogma um or if it um precludes somebody from doing their own religion so you know basically in you know our separation of church and state makes it such that in school you need to honor everybody's religion and you can't teach a particular you can't enforce a religion um and so uh that that lawsuit never actually ended up going through um but we kind of put the wagons together and a lot of the leaders in the mindfulness and education field we went you know we Omega supported us to be able to have a convening um, where we all came together and over the course of a, a few days and really, really sat with uh, it, it. It started from this question of around religion in schools and, and what do we do? We knew that somebody was going to get in that line of fire and it just so happened to be Fiona and her team. Um, but we all came together to kind of build a document to because, you know, in certain You've probably noticed this in traveling, like in, in Germany and Europe, in certain places, mindfulness is like 
and mindfulness-based stress reduction is like the thing and everybody needs to be licensed in this specific way in the u.s it's like kind of um wild west where like if you want you like go and sit a day-long mindfulness course and then you're like i'm a mindfulness teacher and you just do whatever and so there actually are a lot of schools that i've seen that are like you know doing it out of a particular like yogic scriptures in the schools or this or that and and it actually so partially what i was actually i led something at this convening where uh I, I was I was actually really trying to get all of us, all of the folks, because folks from mindful schools and from Inner Explorer and like lots of the, the main mindfulness in schools or uh, organizations were there. And I was actually trying to get us to reflect, are we doing this? You know, not just not just like how do we not get in trouble, but like, are we trying to enforce some type of religious belief system? Um, and I think that there, there were ways that I really had to step back and be like, like one particular one that I was interested in was this idea of like, in Buddhism, there's the idea of, um, there's the idea of, uh, basic goodness, which is the sense that at our root as human beings, we're good. And, um, then we basically through contortions of our consciousness, we end up, uh, you know, basically if we are completely self-compassionate, then we're going to act from our basic goodness. Where in some other traditions, there is a sense that where there actually isn't basic goodness, there's a sense of like original sin, where like at your base, we're not good. And we actually have to do a lot of this kind of like work to be able to cleanse ourselves um, so there, there's these ways that I'm like, huh, okay, there's certain, there's all different types of belief systems. And are there certain things if like mindfulness is trying to teach a kind of basic goodness type of teaching, is that, is that saying that original sin is wrong? And that, so I, I just like was trying to like put things out there. Like, are there ways that we are doing this? Are we teaching Buddhism? Some people I think kind of are. Some people see the idea of mindfulness and buddhism is the same thing and that they are trying to teach buddhism kind of cloaked in mindfulness that's not what i'm doing i'm when i'm talking about mindfulness i'm i'm really talking about awareness and um so so that we 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 really kind of churned for a few days really talking about hey how do we if we're bringing this into schools and there's these very clear both you know working with the idea of separation of church and state but also working with trauma, working with lots of different populations that, you know, there's the whole thing of how mindfulness has been taught primarily by white teachers and folks from a very particular cultural standpoint. How do we, and then often it's brought in to a, you know, mostly black inner city school taught by mostly white teachers. So like there's lots of ways that we're like, okay, are we being culturally responsible? Are we being trauma informed? Are we being, um, are we, are we being conscious of religion? So really just trying to create this very inclusive way of being able to offer teachings of just being more compassionate and present. And when we, when we really nail it down, when you look at that, um, the document we created, I'm in, I feel like we're squarely in that thing of like, no, we're just trying to be able to and it's true when every every time somebody has ever had concerns about the different programs that I've worked with, when they actually come in and see what 
were doing, they're like, oh my God, my kids need this. I need this. Our mm. families need this. Mm. Um, it's pretty clear that we're not doing anything like that. Um, yeah. Mm. I really appreciate that you actually, what you just said about having a really honest view about, and that's something, it's a conversation that we could have, the whole conversation could just be around this, around secularity and people that are coming from a more Buddhist orientation. And you know, my main critique of it is the lemon test seems like a great example where um, if you're offering teachings in a quote unquote secular way and then going into the background saying they don't really know that we're actually doing Buddhism here, that does seem problematic. Mm -hmm. And for us, I just appreciate that you said, let's just be in the reflection around it. Let's actually be in the conversation. And because you mentioned it, and I know this has been a part of your work around um, cultural diversity, equity, the focus on, oh, you, I mean, you just said it around uh, mindfulness, at least in the U.S., being um, in this particular way in the, in the insight tradition or certain secular traditions often being taught by white teachers and there being now, there's just such a more rich, complex conversation happening around um, identity, in particular race, inside of the mindfulness communities and a conversation around equity, diversity, inclusion. How do we, how does mindfulness and the mindfulness communities fit into this moment? Um, where is their tensions? Where is their you know healing that's possible? And I just want to open it up because I know that some of um, your work in the last we've talked about it in the last couple of years, there has been some conversations around diversity inside of mindfulness programming and also where there's room for healing. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about just this moment that we're in around you know, Black Lives Matter. There's so much conversation around um, racial justice, diversity. Where are, you, where are you at with it? And what would you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'd, probably good to bring up this uh the transformative educational leadership program that i helped found with um mina srinivasan and linda lentieri which is an educational leadership program uh we had just about 70 uh educational leaders this last year uh, superintendents principals from around all over the u.s and beyond um, we did a, a year-long program which was really focused on how to help transform educational systems. And in that, we were really focused on um, racial justice, social justice, equity, um, and we were committed within it to you know, bring at least 40% people of color into the group, um, which we did. And, so, and, and this is, program is, con continues. We'll have another cohort next year. Um, and... I think one thing that we experienced with it was when you commit to racial justice, particularly, and you, you know, like when, when you commit to something, then you commit to it mm -hmm. and then you have, then you're in it. Mm -hmm. right? So <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's not just like you're saying like, you know, like putting a sign out being like, you know, black lives matter. And then like, you're a good person because you think black lives matter. It's like you're opening the conversation and then you're in the conversation. So I feel like we actually, at least I'll speak for myself, I experienced like we, we opened this conversation wide. We, our, our cohort was like a powerful group of leaders from around the country, incredibly diverse leaders from around the country, 
um, a lot of whom are, you know, leading kind of equity and race conversations in their school systems. And I personally was a little over my head. Like I was, I, I wanted the conversation. I was in for the conversation, but pretty quickly I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is hot. This is like, there's a lot of energy here. There's a lot of, when, when you, you know, when you open up the conversation around like the, the deep pain and legacy of racism and, um, it's like, okay, let's buckle up. Let's, let's do this. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I think that there's a lot of people who are on different stages of capacity to be in those conversations. Mm. So I actually think some of the people who, um, were in our group weren't ready for that, that level of conversation. They weren't ready for it. No, uh, they think, were ready for it. Yeah. No, no, they weren't. I think there, oh, there's okay, some people not, yeah. in the group who were who were like, you know, like I think that we we pay a lip service in most schools now to diversity, sure. but like we're like now we're not paying lip service. We're gonna get into this. Mm. We're actually going to like allow the emotions to run high and to try to be in it with each other, um, and that was profound for me. I feel like like okay, if we want like healing necessitates opening all of the emotions that are present for everybody and getting messy to some extent and figuring out how can the container be wide enough that all of this can be here right um and when we say inclusive it meaning like you know this this black person's emotions can fully be here and the emotions that it brings up for this white person can fully be here and this latino person's experience you know, like all everybody's the whole tapestry and they're like okay let's just let it be technicolor yeah and um and and that's as hard like i don't think that there's many people who do that well yes and i feel like we did it as well as we could and i was i was personally transformed by the experience of being um you know growing and seeing things i hadn't seen and showing up in ways that i felt like were stretching me and um and i think it was past some people's thresholds there was just like whoa i i just wanted to learn how to teach mindfulness in schools better you know um and uh i think that that's for everybody um for everybody there's a piece and for me this is it's also a, a, a huge aspect of mindfulness and emotional intelligence which is that if we are going to be in these conversations with which necessitate we'll take it to trauma right necessitate the personal and 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 legacy of you know ancestral trauma and all of the different aspects that we hold in our bodies we need to have a certain level of personal and collective um compassion and 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 capacity because if we hit our upper limit, then, you know, as you know, in trauma, like this is exactly what you're teaching, then we're shutting down and then the conversation is not going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that as whole groups, it happens. We try to have a conversation. It gets so intense that like most people kind of shut down and then that conversation isn't actually going to be helpful. It's going to be kind of reinforcing fear and shutdown. It's where I have hope actually about, I mean, it's inspiring to hear that you were able to actually come through a conversation about racism, racial justice in that group. And it sounds like you ended up on the other side, somewhat intact. I think that, I think the group, mostly of the group as a whole, 
Yeah, I, I found it to be pretty profound. And, and what happens often in those types of situations where it was like the leaders, like we were tr- holding space, but we were like opening to some some type of healing process that was happening in the larger intelligence of the group. And I, I thought it was very, it was profound. And I we also learned a lot of like, okay, when we do this next time, right? we need to do a lot of prep of like, how do we support each person's inner resourcing for these conversations? How do we cre- create even better group trust to be able to go into these kind con- like, there's a lot of scaffolding that you need to do for everybody to be able to be in that process. So yeah. they don't get blown out. Anything else that you want to um, share here? Any, any areas that we haven't taught? We covered a lot of territory here, but um, as we move towards kind of wrapping up here, anything that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I I think that what I've been really um, getting is for myself is I have spent many years traveling around the world trying to improve systems for kids and teachers and with the vision that like, uh, what could be better to help our planet than to create the environment where kids are going to grow up to be healthy, compassionate human beings. Um, I still think it's a pretty genuine endeavor. Um, but there's a way that I was, you know, going all over the place to do that. Um, I think that I had a kind of realization when my like nieces who live down the street from me, uh, their, their principal asked me like, Oh, can you come and do something for our school? Which like, I somehow hadn't thought of like going down like a quarter mile down the street to like work at the school next to my house, um, where my wife is the therapist, you know, like, like, oh yeah, this, my community, how do I support the ground underneath my feet? Um, which actually, like, I feel like there is a way that I came, came even closer, where it's this basic concept of like, okay, if my, if my bed isn't made, if my house isn't in order, literally, if my, the, you know, the trees, the fruit trees I planted aren't watered enough to be growing well, you know, like really understanding this sense of like if i'm not nurturing and conscious of this land of this of of my own person my own body like if i'm not recognizing the temple of my own body the temple of the house i live in the temple of this land um and really once i have shifted into doing that recognizing actually how much work that is to be able to like just truly align my relationship my like personal relationships relationships with my cat you know like relationships with my land um that that takes a whole lot of work and that once that once my world feels truly aligned then when i'm actually going out from there to the school down the street from my house then then there's this sense of like like ah oh, it's like coming from the ground up it's coming from, I feel in deep integrity with what I'm offering, which sometimes when I'd be over in Germany teaching and I'd be stressed out and jet lagged and there's a sense of like, what am I, you know, like I know what I'm doing is good, but there isn't like, I don't feel my roots down. Um, so on some, on that level of mindfulness being mindful of my body, mindful of my literal place around me, 
mindful of the food that I'm chopping like that. We talk about the like, you know, chop wood, carry water, but like literally chopping the wood and, and literally carrying the water and literally being in this deep reverence and kind relationship with um, with that which is surrounding me. And then from there, tracking like, OK, what do what is within my range to be able to go out and offer to teach mindfulness in such a way that it's in, in deep integrity because now I'm like, oh yeah, my the school I can do that. That feels like really good and clean. I'm like, okay, the school in San Francisco that wants me to go drive down there for an hour. Huh, I don't know if I if I'm going to be able to fully stay. And and that's like you know you see here all the gurus and trauma teachers and all the people all you know who are like ending up being out of integrity in lots of ways in their personal lives and yet go and yet like teaching beautiful things. Um, and I really personally, I, I want to let my teaching come from the ground up, from my own into inner integrity to be going out there. Um, and that takes so much work. And I, and I, for myself, feel what I will be teaching will be so much more authentic and transformative if it's coming from the alignment of my inner world and my direct direct world um, and how profoundly easy it is to be swept off your feet when you're out trying to 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 fight the good fight but you're you know you're treading water Hmm. that seems like a great note to to end on here appreciate what you just shared and it really applies to a lot of this work around um, yes we can learn all the points and the checklist of what we can do and then ultimately it's about how, how are we what's our embodiment what are we offering and i i just appreciate what you just said about you know bringing it back home so yeah. thanks for being here daniel of course my friend yeah thanks for your time and um just thank you for all your work thank you let's do it again Thanks for listening to this episode of the Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast. If you have any suggestions of people that you'd love to hear interviewed or topics that you'd want us to cover, you can always write us at support at davidcherlevin.com. And you can follow uh, new episodes and general information about trauma sensitive mindfulness on my website, davidcherlevin.com. Thanks again for being here and looking forward to being in touch soon. Thank you.